to rehearse what we believe is true. The gospel truth is that Jesus Christ has died, that Jesus Christ has risen, and that Jesus Christ is coming back again someday. This is what the church has done for thousands of years. Um, and so this morning it's good for us sometimes to back up uh, either by choice or sometimes by necessity and just realize that like this is why we do what we do. This is why we meet on Sunday morning. It's not to have a show. It's not to just feel comfortable with each other. It's to come together and to be reminded and to proclaim to each other the truth of the gospel. And so I'm glad for that opportunity this weekend. I'm glad you're here. I know we have visitors here. Uh, we have people from out of town that are here. We want to welcome you and thank you for coming to worship with us this morning. And during our teaching time here over the next few minutes, we are continuing on in our series focusing on the scriptures, uh, what we refer to as the Word of God. And this little mini-series is part of a bigger look that we are taking as a church on what we call spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. It's the, the process, for lack of a better term, of God aligning all of who we are, our, our whole person, our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, the physical bodies that we have, our relationships with each other. It's God aligning all of who we are with all of who He is. Aligning who we are with what He says is real. What He defines as real life. And the practice of reading Scripture, picking up this book that we hold, and reading the words that are here, is essential to that process of transformation. Um, we have been talking... As Camise mentioned earlier, we've been talking very in-depth about what it means to believe truth instead of believing lies. And the reason that we're talking about that, and that that's kind of the foundation that we're laying when we think about reading the Scripture, is that primarily we are being attacked, we are being pushed away from what God says is real, what God says is true into a different reality, into a different definition of truth. Uh, that's why the devil and all the enemies of God uh, align their resources towards uh, pushing us out of truth and into believing lies. And the problem for us is this. We underestimate our propensity to believe lies instead of truth. Yeah. Like, I think I'm okay. I think I've got it down. I think that I can see a lie coming from a mile away. And so there's no danger for me that I am actually going to be deceived. That I'm going to live a lie. That I'm going to walk in something different than what is true. But what we see in the scriptures and what we know from our own personal experience is that that's just not true. We give ourselves too much credit for being able to identify Deception, being able to identify distortion, being able to identify lies that we hear and that we believe, and that those lies really begin to determine the way that we live our lives. Many times we're not even aware at the level to which we are being deceived. I mean, that's deception, right? If we knew we were being deceived, we wouldn't be deceived. But most of the time, we aren't even aware, aware at how deep these things get into our lives. And so that's why week one of this series, we talked about what is truth? What is truth? And how do we distinguish what is true from what is not true? 
Last week, we talked about the scriptures presenting us with the true story of the world. That the scriptures, this is not just a tool to be used in our lives, but this is God communicating to us the, the history, both past, present, present, and future, in which we live. Like, this is reality. And God is giving us this story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, with Jesus at the center to tell us this is the story in which your lives are lived. And only when we understand what this story is, what God says is true, can we, we make true, we make sense what is true of our own lives and our own stories and the world in which we live. Each week I've mentioned something that this morning I would like to drill down deeper in. And that is this, that God wants to get his truth in us so that it can transform us. God desires for his truth to be in us so that he can transform us. And so this morning I want to look together at how that happens and the role that God's word, the scriptures, play in that transformation. And so if you have a Bible with you, if you have a phone that you're able to pull out, would you turn to Psalm chapter 1? I want to, I want to look at Psalm chapter 1 just to set, set the stage for us this morning and what we're going to be talking about. If you've read through the book of Psalms, you will know that the book of Psalms expresses the full range of human experiences and human emotions. Um, we see all different things, life, death, grief, joy, happiness, sadness, prosperity, want. We see it all through the book of the Psalms. And what I find interesting is that at the gateway, the doorway of the Psalms, Psalms chapter 1, we see two ways of living laid out here. Two ways of being in this world. A way of living that leads us, a life that leads us away from God, and a life that leads us to God. In knowing God and experience the, experiencing the life that God has for us. And Psalm 1 begins, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree. Planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. The, the one that leads to God, the life, the way of being that leads to God is called blessed. It is called blessed. And we are given the picture of a tree. To help us understand what this kind of life looks like. A tree whose roots are sunk deep into rich and fertile soil. A tree that drinks up the water that is around it. A tree that has found its source of life. And because it's rooted in this source of life, it is a tree that is a fruit-bearing tree. It's a tree that's fulfilling its purpose, what it was meant to be, 
to bear fruit that is good in its season. This life that the psalmist is laying out here is the blessed life because it is a life that God has created us to experience. This is the life that God intended for us to experience. It's a life of happiness. It's a life of abundance, prosperity, security. It's a life that's relational. It's a life that's experiential. It's a life of union and communion with God himself. And if you remember, that's what we talked about at the beginning of the story last week, that God's intent was that human beings live on this earth in harmony, perfect harmony with himself, with each other, that they experience the goodness of this world that God had created for them. And that is still what God desires for us. Even though we can't fully experience that in the here and in the now, we are able to have a taste of that now. God wants us to get a glimpse of that now, what our eternity and what our reality will be forever and ever and ever with Him. And that's what we're getting at here when we talk about reading the Scriptures. It's not, a worse, it's not some kind of worship of, of a holy book. Like I mentioned earlier, this is not like a tool that we just pass out that just do these things and your life will be what God wants it to be. I want us to see this morning the truth. That God's truth isn't just information to be known, but it's a way of life. God's truth is personal. God's truth is experiential. Knowing the truth. Believing the truth. Living in the truth is to know and to believe and to live with God himself. It's God's presence with us. And that is why the truth of God transforms us. Because when we come face to face with the truth of God, we are coming face to face with God himself. And God will transform us because of it. Amen. It's not just enough to know the truth. It's not just enough to know it, but we have to believe it. We have to believe it. But often what passes for belief is just knowing something is true. Holding on to facts, holding on to ideas, holding on to concepts as being true. But when the Bible speaks of belief, when the Bible speaks of really believing something, Belief is the degree to which I am ready to act as if something is true. So, for example, I believe that reading to my kids out loud is good for their development, for their understanding, for their growth as people. And so that's why we have books in our house for our kids. That's why we carve out time in our schedule to actually read with our kids because we believe it's something that is good for them and something that is profitable for their, their develop, development. Similarly, I believe that physical exercise for me is key to not only my physical health but also my emotional and spiritual health. It, it's good for me to get exercise, to be in shape, to eat well. And so that's why I make time for it in my schedule. That's why I make time for it in our budget. That's why my wife and I try to be 
intentional about the meals that we cook for each other because we believe that it's important. It's not enough just to say, well, I believe that these things are true. I believe that this is, this is true. I believe that this is important. And then never do anything about it. How much do I actually believe that that's true? How much does it actually mean to me if it doesn't affect anything in my life, any of the choices I make, any of the ways that I think, the ways that I live? And so my beliefs drive how I live my life. My beliefs drive how I live my life. My beliefs about God, my beliefs about this world, my beliefs about myself have a huge impact on my actual day-to-day -day existence in this world. So much of how we live our lives, how we interact with this world, how we respond to situations and experiences that we face, how we relate to other people are driven by our beliefs. What we believe to be true. And the process goes like this. We experience a person. We experience a situation. And immediately our belief system filters how we perceive that person, that situation, that experience. So here's the thing. We don't always perceive the world as it actually is. That's true. We don't always see clearly how things really are. Take, for example, a person who believes that they are unlovable and insignificant, maybe because of experiences in their childhood growing up, relationships with mom and dad, or brothers and sisters, or teacher, people that are influential in their life. They have come to believe that they are a person who is unlovable, that other people just do not love them because they are inherently unlovable. Now what happens in this is that they will only tend to see, if I am a person that believes that I am unlovable and insignificant, I will only see things in my experience that confirm that belief, right? I will only see the world through that lens. And there's no limit to the amount of evidence that I will find to back up that belief. It's limitless because I see everything through that lens. And so that's how I interpret and make sense of my experiences. If I believe that I am unlovable, if I believe that I am insignificant, if a friend of mine forgets to call me on my birthday, then to me, that means our friendship doesn't really matter to me. Because I'm just, I'm not, in, I'm not significant to them. If in my marriage, my sex life is not as frequent as I would like it to be, it means my spouse does not find me attractive anymore. It means my spouse maybe doesn't love me as much as they used to. If at work, I have a coworker who goes to someone else in our office for input on a project or for input in a situation that's going on in their lives, then that means that they don't value me. That they don't value and respect what I bring to the table. Do you see how this works? We filter all of these things through that belief that I am unlovable, that I am insignificant. And every situation, every relationship, every experience I have is colored by that belief. And then when we respond to those situations, 
When we respond to those situations, whether it's vocal, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, our response naturally comes from interpreting those people and those experiences and those situations which is conditioned by my belief that I am unlovable and that I am insignificant. And so I may blow up at my spouse because I believe that they don't respect me, that they don't love me, that they don't value me. At work, I may play it off and tell a joke, laugh it off, to hide the hurt that I feel because my coworker doesn't respect me, because my coworker doesn't value what I bring to the table. Or maybe I just stuff it. I just stuff it, I pretend like it didn't happen, I brood on it, I become bitter by it, and I withdraw from people that are close to me. Because at, the, at my deepest core, I have truly come to believe that I am unlovable, that I am insignificant, that no one wants to get to know me, that no one cares about my life, that no one values who I am, and all of my relationships and my experiences and the situations that I face are seen through that lens. It affects the entirety of my life. Over time, we begin to internalize our beliefs and they impact virtually every aspect of our lives. Our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, our bodies and our actions, our relationships with other people. Our lives are largely driven by our beliefs. And here's the kicker. Most of us have beliefs that are really distorted. Most of us see this world and interpret this world and react to this world because we have very distorted Remember what we've been saying over the last few weeks. That spiritual warfare is primarily, spiritual warfare is primarily the battle to believe truth over believing lies. That the devil has very little real power in this world and in our lives apart from the lies that he tells us and the power that is released when we begin to believe it. Because if he can get us to believe something that is not true, if he can get us to believe a different reality than the reality that God has given us, he knows that it will affect every single aspect of our lives. It will lead us away from the life that God has desired and designed us to live. It will lead us away from being free in our relationships with God and our relationships with other people. And it will keep us in bondage. It will keep us in fear. It will move us into isolation. And it will put us in a destructive way of life. That is why the battle to believe truth over lies is so important. Because it's the key. It's the key. The lies and the deception of the enemy are powerful and destructive. <coughs> They distort our beliefs about God. They distort our beliefs about ourselves. They distort our beliefs about other people. The lies and the deception of the devil aren't what keep us in bondage, in the sin that we can't overcome. 
in the destructive patterns in our relationships, our addictions that we wrestle with, the bondage happens when those lies are internalized and believed. When we take them in and we begin to see them as what's really true. And we begin to internalize them as what is actually real. And then the entirety of our lives are lived out of those beliefs. Does this make sense, what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Does this make sense? Do you experience this? Oh, yeah. Does anybody understand what this is like? I sure do. I do. This is something that is very real, very personal to me. When the lies and the deception actually become reality to us, they push us away from real life, from the life that God has intended us. That's true. This is not just my words. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He writes, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Listen to him again in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Listen to what he prays. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Did you catch what Paul is doing there? He says that God's life that he has designed for you to live. We are praying that you experience that. That that life becomes true of you through the transformation of what you think and what you believe so that you will be able to see what is true. So that you will be able to see the life that God desires you to live. The transformation that God wants to work in you and in me. And then finally, listen to the words of Jesus. We looked at these a couple of weeks ago from John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus himself said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. Freedom that God desires for us. The life that God has created us to live. The transformation that he desires to work in your life and mine, comes from knowing and believing and living in the truth. His truth. We want to be free from the bondage of sin, 
in all of its forms. We want to live our lives like the tree in Psalm 1, right? Fruitful, prosperous, rooted in what's real and not in some unreality. What we often fail to recognize, though, is that our own belief system is the primary cause of our frustration. Our own belief system is our problem. God in Jesus Christ on the cross, in Romans chapter 5, Paul says that we have been made new. That you and I who have put our faith in Jesus Christ have been made new. God has defeated sin and death on the cross. He's defeated the slavery in Romans chapter 6. The slavery that we are in to sin. God has given us everything that we need at our deepest core to live in harmony with him and with other people to experience the transformation that he wants us to experience in Christ. And so when we look at our lives and we see the frustration and the problems that we have, so much of it is because our belief systems have still not been transformed by God. The way that we believe, what we believe about him, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others and the world that we live in, our lack of freedom, and experiencing the life that God wants us to experience comes directly from believing and internalizing lies instead of truth. God wants to get his truth in us so that he can transform us in order that we can have the life that he has designed us to live. And this is not about the power of positive thinking. This is not just being positive and thinking the right things. This is a deep transformation that only comes from the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Amen. Seeing God face to face and understanding and beginning to believe through the power of the Spirit that what God says is true is really true. Even in spite of our experiences, even in spite of our relationships, even in spite of everything that tells us that it's not, that God's version of truth is actually truth. It is actually reality. Listen to what Paul says again in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. If this was not possible for people who are truly in Jesus Christ, then Paul never would have written it. This is the possibility that you and I face every single day, and we need to acknowledge that the following is true. Our spiritual enemies are way more clever than we are. That our own hearts can be divided in the things that are most important to us and the things that most matter to us, and that we often fight the wrong battles because we have blind spots, because we don't see clearly. And what Paul says here is that he warns the Ephesians and he warns us, don't live in the dark. Don't live outside of what is true. 
Because God has something more for you. God desires more for you. Some of us have depended on knowing the right doctrine to mature. We just know what is right. Then we're okay. Some of us have thought if we just tried harder or just wanted it more, then we could overcome the sin struggles that we have. That's what the Pharisees did. They knew the right answer. They knew what the scriptures said. They practiced it to a T because they wanted it more than anybody. But what does Jesus say? You know the scriptures, but you've missed me. They missed the fact that truth is more about knowing information. Truth is coming, knowing truth, believing truth, is coming face to face with the presence of God. Face to face with Jesus Christ and his power to transform. When we internalize and believe a lie, it becomes so embedded in our way of being that we hardly even know it's there. And that's where God and that's where his truth wants to live. Sifting through the layers of wrong beliefs, self-deception, denial, all of these things that we struggle with. Transforming us by replacing those things with what is really true, what is really right, and what is really good. That's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 12 wrote, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's word, through the power of his spirit, has the power to get down into our deepest core and to begin to transform us. To replace the lies and the deceptions that the devil and all the enemies of God want us to believe and live in. To replace those and transform those into what is true, what is good. So that our entire lives are lived and aligned with what God says is true. That is God's desire for us. And believing the truth is much, so much more than believing that George Washington was the first president of the United States. All right? Believing the truth is so much more than that. Listen to this definition that David Tackle gives of the truth in his book, The, Lie, the Truth About Lies and the Lies About Truth. He says, Truth is the very presence of God in our lives to provide continuous awareness and discernment of the unseen realities within us and around us, the interpretations of life that allow us to relate to God and others as he intended. Truth is the very presence of God in our lives. I like that. The very presence of God in our lives. The word of God is living and it is active. And when it gets in us, God will use it to transform us. It's personal. It's experiential. This is what we need. 
when we said that this is the Word of God. So what does this look like? I want to close. I want to close by giving you a picture of what this looks like. What does it look like <coughs> to pick up this book and to read it in the way that God desires us to read it so that He can transform us through it? Well, first of all, we have to actually read what is here, but we also have to read it the way that it's here. We have to read what's here, but we also have to read the way that it's here. Because we, so many times, live our lives in our own personal cultural bubble. We see everything through what makes sense to us, right? We import our own beliefs and our definitions and, and our meanings into everything else. And we believe that those things are right. Even though there is a single storyline in this entire book that we talked about last week. This is a very complex book. It's a book that's written by multiple different writers over the span of 1,500 years in a lot of different styles from people coming out of and writing into different cultures. This is not a 21st century American book. And we can't read it in the way that we would read just anything else. We have to open this book and say, what did God intend for this to say? Why did God write it this way? We have to ask ourselves, what are we reading? Is it a narrative? Am I reading a story here? Is this a history? Is this biography? Is this a parable? What's the story that's being told here? Is it poetry? Is it songs and, and wisdom sayings and metaphors that help us think about what's real and what's true in a different way? In a way that engages not only our minds, but also brings our emotions and our, our feelings and our experiences into it. Is it, a, is it prose writing? Is it, is, am I reading a letter that was written to a person or to a group of people? What's the instruction here? What's being taught here? All of these ways of, of thinking and speaking and acting and feeling, what, what is being taught? What am I being led to here? And questions like, who wrote this? Why was it written? When was it written? Who is reading this? They're, they're helpful. To sit, for us to see what God intended to say in His Word. What God wanted people to read and to listen to and to take away from His Word. But we also move from just reading it to getting it into us and getting ourselves into the story. And this is what we mean by meditating on the Word of God. Meditation is a weird thing for a lot of us. We don't know what that means. We have a hard time getting a handle on what meditating actually is. Christian meditation is not emptying our minds from everything, but it's getting what God's truth is into our minds and ingesting it so that we can make sense of it, so that we can understand it, so that we can live through it. God, think about this, God created the universe. I'm sorry, I'll get to that in a second. I skipped ahead. But when we read the scriptures, we use our imagination through meditation. 
Like that's what we mean by Christian meditation. It's like we use our imagination. We get into the Word and we say, what does this passage tell me about God? What does it tell me about Jesus Christ? What does it tell me about God's Spirit? What does this passage tell me about myself? About other people? About the world that I'm living in? What does my, how does my experience and what, I, what I'm experiencing of life right now fit within this passage and what's being written here? Meditation is thinking on it, chewing on it, mulling over it, talking about it with other people so that it becomes a part of our life. So that we are begin to not only know what God says, but we begin to get it in us. So that we can begin to see how our lives fit within the story that God has told us. We read it. We meditate. We pray. This is where I was going a second ago when I skipped ahead. Think about this. That God created the universe through what? His words. God spoke things into existence. God created us. Through words. God reveals himself through words. God speaks to us and he has created us with the ability to speak back to him. To respond to him. To answer him. To converse with him. To argue with him. To question him. Several months ago we did a mini-series on the practice of prayer. I encourage you to go back and listen to those teachings. Look at some of the resources that we have on our website. That God has given us the ability to talk with Him because we know that our word is not the first word. That we are always responding to what God has already said. We are responding to what He says is real and what He says is true. Praying what we read in the Bible grounds us in reality and gets the truth of what's real into our vocabulary, into our thinking. It gets it into our heart that when we pray, we engage the spirit of God. We communicate with God's spirit and God solidifies that truth that we are praying into our hearts. And so as we read and as we meditate, we take those ideas we take the stories that we read, we take the teaching that we receive here out of the scripture, and we begin to connect it to our own life, to our own experiences, to our own relationships. And we begin to see the Spirit of God uncover some of those deep disbeliefs and lies and deceptions and distortions that begin to rule our lives. Things that we may not have ever been aware of as we begin to read the scriptures and pray the scriptures back to God in the context of our lives. God's word gets in us and begins to do that work of transformation. Revealing what is distorted and replacing with what is true and what is real. And lastly, after we read it, after we meditate on it, after we pray it, we have the opportunity to live it. We have the opportunity to live it. Get this. Application is not the same thing as transformation. Too often when we go to God's Word, we read it and we say, okay, I've read that. How can I apply that to my life right now? God wants more than skin-deep application. 
God wants soul transformation. Inner transformation. That's what we've been talking about. At the deepest part of how we see the world and what we believe about the world. What happens is that over time, as we begin to see the truth and get the truth into our lives, our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, our actions, our relationships are confronted with what is real. And that doesn't come by just haphazardly opening the scriptures once a month. Or maybe every other week for five minutes. That's why we encourage each other to regularly come to the scriptures and open it and read it. Because what we're looking for is not some monumentous experience every time we open the scripture. But what we understand is that God's spirit over time uses this truth as we get it into it. Get it into us over and over and over again. He uses that to transform us. We're not looking for an experience overnight because the ways that we are living and the patterns of belief that God wants to expose and to change didn't get there overnight. They are a product of years and years and years of a lot of different things. But that's why a steady dose of God's word, getting it in us, reading it, talking about it with other people, that's what God uses to begin to transform us. We read it with others. We talk about it with others. We wrestle with it with others. We make the scriptures a part of our lives, not just something we do here on Sunday morning or something we do in a small group Bible study, but that we begin to see our whole lives as being lived within the context of what God says is true and that what he says is true really matters for every single part of who we are. Reading, meditating, praying can happen while studying the Bible verse by verse. It can happen by having a Bible reading plan where you're reading the Bible over the course of the year. It can happen when you're listening to the Bible in your car on the way to work. This is not, I have to get in here and be a scholar about God's Word. No, God has given us all His Word. And no matter where we open this up, no matter what context it is, we can begin to understand and see the truth and get it in us and allow God's Spirit to use that truth to transform us. But like all the other spiritual disciplines, as I wrap up, when we read the Scriptures, we are participating with God's transformation. This is not about willpower. It's not about wanting it bad enough. What we're doing is we are saying, God, I believe that as I come to your word and I know your word and I get your word in me, I believe that you will transform my life. I believe that as I encounter you, your presence in this scripture, that you will do a work that you want to do in my life. Through The Bible isn't a tool to be used it's an opportunity to engage with the very presence of God. It's an opportunity to know the truth, to believe the truth, to live in the truth, which means to know and to believe and to live with God himself. It's not magic. It doesn't happen through osmosis by just putting it under a pillow at night, and then all of a sudden we're going to be transformed. But God in His grace and in His mercy has given us His Word, which is true. 
because this truth will transform. And so, as we talk about this in our missional community groups, in our discipleship groups, as we listen to it on Sunday morning, as we personally spend time reading the scriptures day after day, we are a church, we are a community that is committed to engaging God, His presence, through the scriptures. And we're going to do that together. We're going to do that together. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I want to invite you to come. In a moment, we'll have stations up here. We'll have a station that's gluten-free in the back for those who need that. And we practice this every week. Because it's important for us. It's necessary for us to remind each other, to proclaim to each other what is real. That if Christ has not died, if he's not risen, if he's not coming back again, then all of this is meaningless. Then all of this isn't real. But this is what solidifies the truth of Jesus Christ's death, his resurrection, his coming back again. That is what solidifies in our hearts that following God and what he says is true is actual reality. And I don't know about you, but week in and week out, I need to be reminded of that. I need to be encouraged with that. I need to be challenged with that. And so that's why we do this together. <coughs> Nothing magical that happens here. This is a symbol of what we believe is true. And what we are staking our lives upon. And so if that is true of you, I want to invite you to come. To take a piece of bread, to dip it in the juice. And to remember and to proclaim that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ is coming back. Let me pray.